What is up, fam? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, Black Men in White Coats, Pre-Med Mondays, and of course, the Doctor Doc Children series, and you listen to the Black Men in White Coats podcast. So super excited about today's guest, but before I introduce today's guest and before I tell you why it's such a special episode, um, I want to tell you about three quick things, three quick things, okay? The first one is, hey, the documentary is going phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, over 400 screenings. <laughs> Oh, yes, you heard that right. Over, not over 400 views, over 400 screenings across the United States of America and Canada, right? We got people in Canada watching this. And um, let me tell you, so, so many great things happening with this, but probably my favorite thing is that change is actually happening, right? So it's not just a film, it's a resource. And what's happening, so I've done like 20, 30 calls over the past month, and these are Q&A sessions, kind of Zoom calls with uh, medical schools and large healthcare systems across the country who have screened the documentary. And I'm on these calls with presidents and CEOs and deans, and they're telling me how this documentary that we made, and I say we because a lot of you guys who listen to this supported us, this documentary that we made is actually impacting change for them. They're, they're inspired by our documentary, so just starting pipeline programs, doing all sorts of stuff. And the coolest thing for me is being on these calls where I'm getting calls and emails I'm getting from people saying that they're actually going to show our documentary to donors and use it to raise funds so they can get more money to start pipeline programs. That is amazing. That's why we made the film. And um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who supported because for us, that is huge, right? We, we made a film that we wanted to see it impact change and we're seeing that happen. People are using our film as a resource so they can start programs to help, um, you know, help give people opportunity to get into the field of medicine. So that's the first thing. Now, the next two things are kind of the same thing. I want to talk about two new books that are out, right? Two new books that are out. The first is by my guy, Dr. Stephen Noble. Stephen Noble, you know, you guys might have heard of him. He's been on this podcast a couple times now and um, he's one of the associate level producers, <laughs> associate level, associate producer level backers for the documentary. So if you watch Black Men and White Coast documentary, you see Dr. Stephen Noble right there in the front. So Dr. Noble actually took my course. So I teach people how to write books and how to sell publish and things of that sort because I believe in I really believe in ownership if you're going to write a book I think you should own your own book right own the rights to your book so he took my course on how to do that and he just finished writing a phenomenal children's book and I'm holding it in my hands right now and I tell you this thing is beautiful it is amazing it's called the heart of a hero the Dr. Daniel Hale Williams story so I could tell you guys who Dr. Daniel Hale Williams is um, but I'm going to tell you to go check the book out. It's on Amazon.com. You can grab it right now. It's called The Heart of a Hero, The Dr. Daniel Hale Williams Story by my buddy, Dr. Stephen Noble. Get the book. Check it out. It's a phenomenal book. Everybody should have this in your household. I've got it right now for my family, um, and it's phenomenal. The second book is, is just a compilation of mine that I want to tell you guys about. So the Dr. Doc books, one through five, I've compiled them into one book. So now you can actually go online, Amazon, and order that. Dr. Doc books, one through five, you can order them all together. So if you don't have any of them yet, or if you just want to have them all as one big, thick book, I think um, combined it's like 165 pages or something. So it adds up, it gets to be a thick book. So you can order the whole set, book one through five, um, for your kids so you can have it all there together. And um, I'll be getting ready. Actually, I've already written the sixth one. I just haven't put it out yet. But I'll be getting ready to start rolling some more of them out here in the very near future. So check out Dr. Noble's book, The Heart of a Hero, the Dr. Daniel Hale Williams Stories, phenomenal children's book. Um, it's about a black cardiothoracic surgeon. So make sure you check it out. And Dr. Noble himself is a black cardiothoracic surgeon as well. All right. Now, today's guest, it's kind of a different type of thing we're doing today, right? So I don't have anybody here in the studio with me. When I say in the studio, I mean like via Zoom. Uh, what I do have is a recording from our recent Black Men and White Coast Virtual Youth Summit. Um, they're sponsored by my nonprofit, Diverse Medicine, and it's with Hill Harper. So Hill Harper was our keynote speaker, and he had he did a phenomenal job. He talked about the blueprints. 
and being an architect for your own blueprint, being an architect and, and shaping your life, having some accountability over what happens with your own life. Um, and it's a phenomenal session. So much wisdom, so many gems in it. So um, I'm going to play that back for you guys because I, did, I didn't want to waste that. I want as many people as possible to hear that, even people who couldn't make it to the, to the event. So I'm going to play that back for you guys. So Hill's going to talk for a bit. He's going to talk about the blueprint and being an architect. But on the backside, I'm going to do a little Q&A with Hill so you guys can check it out and enjoy. You're going to love the episode, Gems of Wisdom by Hill Harper. Check it out. It's like a blessing, everything a win, loss is like a lesson Ooh, ooh, yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stepping Ooh, ooh, yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around Really got on racks, ain't playing around Wanna go get it, stop playing around Really got on racks, ain't playing around Black man, white yeah. coke, shit, we up right now, yeah, yeah A lot of you guys are here because you're super excited about Hill Harper, I know I am um, A lot of stuff I can say about this guy, I'm not gonna give you the huge long intro because it's too long but just tell you, my first exposure to Hill Harper was way back when I was a kid watching various TV shows, Married with all sorts of stuff. And, I, you know, I've been a fan watching him through his career. Um, but I respect him for that. But maybe one of the bigger reasons I respect him is because he's just such a brilliant dude, such a caring dude with his, um, his various philanthropies, the you know, Clean Water Initiatives, all his books. He's a best-selling author. Um, and, um, what you know, what's got me here recently is that he thought the black men and white coast project was important enough to kind of come on to documentary with us, to be one of our star brilliant interviewers and, and be co-EP on the project. So I'm forever grateful for that. And I'm going to be quiet because y'all want to hear Hill Harper talk. So Mr. Hill Harper, thank you so much. I'm going to disappear. The stage is yours. Hey everybody. Hey everybody. I, uh, it's Dr. Dale. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just so proud and happy to, to be able to join you guys. You know, this is, uh, it's a great day uh, and a great learning. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I have a five-year-old son named Pierce and we read the doc to doc books all the time. And he's already told me he wants to be a doctor. He said, dad, I want to be a doctor just like you. What he doesn't realize is that I'm just a doctor on TV. And I said, I said to him the other day, I said, you know what? Um, you like me in my white coat? He said, yeah, I love you in white coat. I said, what's my character's name? He said, your character's name is Dr. Marcus Andrews. And that's right. I played Dr. Marcus Andrews on The Good Doctor. And I'm proud, so proud to represent all the black male doctors in this country uh, wearing my lab coat as a character. Proud to represent all the frontline medical workers, all the folks who have been heroes for us this past year during this pandemic, who have showed up to, to, to really take care of people's health and, and, and make sure that they're saving lives. Um, it's just, just so, so thankful uh, for what you do. And I hope that the character I play represents you all in a proud, proud, proud way. And so, um, you know, I wanna jump in. What I wanna talk about today, and this is a message for certainly the young folks, but also, uh, the young at heart. And no matter where you are in your journey, this is a message for, for you. And, and what I want to talk about is this concept that we are all active architects of our own life. We are all active architects of our own life. And that means whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are actually building the exact life that is ours. 
And so the question we have to take a step back and ask is, what kind of life do you want to build? What kind of life do you want to create knowing because you are uh, the active architecture of your own life? And I want to break down what that looks like. Um, there are four steps of being active architects of your own life. There are four steps. And the first thing that an architect does when they set out to build a structure is that they have a blueprint or a plan. And I would suggest to you that the vast majority of people that you know in the world, for the sake of this conversation, let's call them civilians. The vast majority of civilians, just normal folks walking around, they're actually walking around without a blueprint that they've sketched out for their life. And I oftentimes ask the question, if you hire an architect to build a structure, there's no way you'd let them, you'd give them money to build a building without seeing their plan or their blueprint first. Yet, why would we ask for more specificity from an architect building a building for us than we ask of ourselves in building our own lives? So many people don't have a blueprint. Now, what they do, if you say, if you ask them, say, man, what's your blueprint? What's your plan? They'll say, I say, where do you keep it? They say, oh, I keep it up here. I got it right here. And that's when you know they don't really have a plan. They have hopes, they have dreams, they may have goals, but they haven't sketched out a blueprint. Because what a blueprint really is, is actually a detailed document that sketches out the steps from going to point A to point B to point C. So whether you wanna call them goals or dreams or something you wanna achieve, the point is those are destinations that you're gonna build to. You still need a blueprint that sketches out the plans and what I call what ifs. So you sketch out a plan. My goal is to graduate high school or to graduate college magna cum laude or whatever that is. I have to sketch out what do I have to do to achieve that level of excellence. Oh, I'm gonna have to study at least three hours a night or I'm gonna have to meet with the, uh, the teachers in a private meetings to make sure I'm staying on, on track. Oh, I'm going to have to actually do extra credit if I fall behind. All of these things become a part of my blueprint, my plan. And then I can check in with myself into that blueprint to see if I'm actually matriculating the ball downfield, if I'm actually moving towards my goal. Whereas if you don't have that, you're just hoping that things are just going to work out. I call it the lotto mentality. Many of us suffer from what I call the lotto mentality. We just hope that our number is going to get called rather than actually saying, I'm not worried about that. I'm actually gonna take control of my life and my situation, and I'm going to make sure that even if it doesn't look like my numbers are gonna go, I'm gonna make an adjustment to my behavior to make sure I'm setting myself up for specific success. It is under our control. Our lives are under our control, and we have to start with being conscious and making a blueprint or a plan. And remember this though, this is a key point that the reason why they used to call it a blueprint before the advent of computers is because they would sketch it out with pencil on, on, a, on a piece of paper that was blue, knowing that they were gonna continuously be modifying that. That's why you never wrote a blueprint out in pen or ink, because you knew going in that you were gonna have to modify your plan. You knew the best laid plan at the beginning will change and modify once you get to actually engaging with what you're doing. 
And so know that, and then obviously in computers, when people pull up, pull up their architectural plans and, and their blueprints on a computer, it's easy to make those shifts and adjustments. So we have to know going in that we make the best blueprint or plan we can at the time, knowing that we're going to modify it as we get new inputs into our mainframe, which is our brain. We're gonna get new inputs in and we're gonna modify our plan as we go. That's the first step of being active architects of our own life, a blueprint. Now, second step of being active architects of our own life. I'll ask you this question, answer it at home. I can't hear you, so you, I gotta know that you're gonna answer it. Once an architect has the land, and once they have a blueprint or a plan, what's the first thing that they're gonna build? They have their materials, they have the land, they have a blueprint. What's the very first thing an architect builds? That's right, they build a foundation. Now, I would suggest to you that the foundation, the size and thickness of the foundation for us is directly proportional to the size and scope of our goals and dreams. You know, I, I'm from New York City, uh, it's where I live, and, and I always marvel when I'm walking around the city and I see some massive construction project and they're gonna build really high, you know, a 100, 100 story skyscraper. But if you look at the build, you look down, they're digging way deep, right? They digging way deep. And you start to say to yourself, now hold on. If they are trying to go as high as they can, why are they digging so deep down? The reason why is because if you wanna go high to create a solid foundation, you gotta dig deep right? You've got to go deep. And that's why building a very thick, solid foundation that's proportional to the scope of your goals and dreams is required. So what does that mean? Foundational elements for our life. One, main thing, education. Education is a fundamental foundational element, okay? Another one, faith, your relationship with God, your relationship with whatever your faith is, having faith in yourself and a higher power. Another foundational element, family, can't get there without family. Another foundational element, love. Another foundational element, empathy and caring and giving to other people. All of these are foundational elements. Another foundational element, watch this, where I'm gonna go, money. People often talk about money as a result, something they want to get, but money is not a result. Money is simply a foundational tool to help you build the life that you wanna build because money and education are very similar. Neither one guarantees happiness, neither one guarantees success, but they buy, they both buy you something that's extremely valuable. They buy you options and options throughout your life is extremely valuable, right? The more options you have, the more, the more ability you have to watch where I'm going with this, the more options you have, the more ability you have to modify your blueprint because obstacles will invariably come. And when obstacles come, you have to make modifications. And if you have optionality, you can make modifications that increase your opportunity for success and getting where you need to go. So I hope you follow me because we're moving quick. We don't got a lot of time. First step of being active architects of our own life is blueprinting or having a plan. Second step is foundation building. The size and thickness is directly proportional to the scope and size of your goals and dreams. You have big goals, big dreams. You need thick foundational elements in all those categories I talked to you. And there are more foundational categories I don't have time to go into right now. Now, the third, out of the four steps of being an active architect of your own life, and perhaps the most difficult to understand is this. Now, listen, I'm gonna ask a question. And if somebody can answer this question, put it in the chat and I'll give you a prize because this is not an easy question. <laughs> we have our blueprint, we built our foundation. 
The next thing that we're going to put on top of our foundation is what? What is it? It's the frame. That's right. It's the frame. And why is the frame important? A lot of people say walls. It's not walls. Walls don't hold up a structure. The frame holds up the structure. And in many ways, walls are just cosmetic. Walls separate rooms. They create insulation. But it's the actual framework, the columns that actually support the structure, connecting to the foundation, supporting the roof and the entire structure. <clears throat> so how you build your framework is extremely important. Now, here's the tough question, though. What would the framework be for our lives if we're working this analogy? We're active architects for our own life. What would the framework in our lives be? I'm checking the chat. I don't see it. I don't see it. So I was going to give a really nice prize. You know, they got that brand new iPhone 12. Yeah, I got that. I got that one with, with uh, Morgan Freeman as the voice of Siri. You know what I'm saying? Nobody got that. Nobody's got that. I was going to give that as the prize. But since nobody got the prize, I don't have to give it away. So that's a good thing. I get to keep my iPhone 12 that nobody else has, but that's okay. So the framework for our lives, watch this, are the choices we make. The framework for our lives are the choices we make throughout our life. Every day you're hit with a series of choices that you make, many of them you make subconsciously, automatically, but these are still important choices. The choices you make, will more influence the course of your life than almost anything in your life, okay? We can name a lot of people out there that have had great blueprints, wonderful foundations, but then they made a series of choices or even one really bad choice and it actually took them way off their track. So each choice you make, when someone's like talking to you, hey man, come on, jump in this car, you know they've been drinking or something, and you're like, mm -mm, no, I'm gonna make that choice to not, not, not ride with you. I don't need to be in a car where you've been drinking. I don't need to do that. Uh, if someone's making a choice, hey man, uh, I know you said you got to study tonight, but come on, let's just go get some pizza, hang out, do the thing. No, 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 no. Actually, I'm gonna make a choice to stay, stay connected to my blueprint. And that's the point. How do you? What's the filter that you use to make your choices from? Always refer back to your blueprint. It's the easiest way. So if your blueprint says, I want to graduate magna cum laude, which I happen to do <laughs> at Brown University, I want to graduate magna cum laude. If that's your goal, then you know what you have to do to get there. Now, the choice you make when someone's trying to take you out of your study time, I'll tell you what I did with my study time. I always knew that I couldn't study at home as efficiently as I could somewhere like the library where I had no distractions. So what I would do in the evenings, I'd grab some dinner, grab some food, I'd go straight to the library, and it's almost like I have my own little cubicle situation because in the library, I didn't have any distractions, and I was able to really focus and make really efficient use of my time. And that was my cutout time for excellence. If I tried to do that at home, I'd hear stuff, my roommates hanging out, doing things, no. I needed to be, I needed to make that choice and be consistent in that choice for me to, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. So I refer back to my blueprint. So the choices you make throughout life, whether they're related to you professionally or personally are critical, critical.
And now the fourth and final step of being active architects of our own life. I'm gonna ask one more question. And if you get this right, you get this prize. What's the one small thing that every architect designs in their, into their structure that's essential for the structure to fulfill its purpose? Anybody got that? Anybody got that? Okay. The one small thing that every architect designs in their structure that's essential for the structure to fill its purpose are doors, right? You need a way in. If, if the purpose of a structure is to provide shelter, there has to be a way in, right? And I would suggest to you in our lives, to be active architects in our own lives, we have to open up doors to new people, new ideas, and new information. And we also, doors also do something else. They also let people out. And I would suggest to you also, there are probably people in your life that you may need to let out of the door, like let them go, because they may be projecting fear onto you and trying to hold you back. Or they may be trying to influence you to make choices that you know aren't related to your blueprint. Those people, you just let them out the door, let them go with love, peace, peace, keep it moving. You don't have to be friends with everybody, nor should you seek to. You are the active architect of your own life. Doors let people in, new ideas, new people, new information. Why is that important? It's important to seek out new people, new ideas, and new information, new networks, uh, building your own personal board of directors. It's important to do that because that's how you get creativity. You, you search out, you read new books, you read new articles, you search out new circles, you get new creative ideas to apply to your life, and then it becomes a circular movement. You get new ideas, new information, you modify your blueprint. You modify your blueprint, that means you're gonna have to add another layer to your foundation because there's a new goal there. You add another layer to your foundation, you make new sets of choices in your framework. You make new sets of choices in your framework, it introduces you to new people into your circle because you've elevated into a new place. Those people give you new ideas. You have to modify your blueprint again. So this becomes a circular concept of elevation of being an active architect of your own life. You have control of it. You can manifest your destiny. You are brilliant. There's nothing you can't do. And I am so proud of each and every one of you. Um, that's being an active architect of your own life. Any questions you have about it, I'm, I'm, I, I will happily answer. I know we're gonna jump into this Q&A uh, with Dr. Dale. We're gonna talk about black men in white coats. We're gonna talk about um, manifesting your destiny. We're gonna talk about the Black Wall Street Project. We're gonna talk about all sorts of amazing things. And so I wanna bring him back on. I wanna thank you guys for being patient. Uh, those early technical difficulties didn't throw us off. You know, we're only half past the hour and we're just starting to get hot and we're just starting to crank. There he goes. There's Dr. Dale, my favorite, my favorite doctor, my favorite author, my favorite documentary filmmaker. Um, you know, that's, that's that's some good stuff right there, man. That's some good stuff. You spin fire, the blueprint, the framework. I did I you know, I was like, I'm gonna answer the question, but you have to I, I didn't know the answer to the question. I'm like, what is the second layer you add on there? I didn't know, but now I know it's a framework. Um, so I know a lot of people are going to be excited. Everybody's going to want to ask Hill Harper a question, but I'm, I got dibs. All right. I got dibs. So I'm going to ask some questions first. Um, and you guys can go ahead and start piling some questions up in there and I'll come through the scroll time if we have time, but I got dibs. All right. So I got a list of questions that I wrote up for you. Okay. Um, and I, I'm the first one. So, you know, I write books. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having your son read my books, my doctor doc books. So thank you for that. But so I got my first questions about your books. I wanted you to tell us about your books. Um, and what inspires you to write them? And 
I already know the answer to this, but how were they received by people, right? So you write books to a variety of people, all these letters to this, letters to that. So talk about your books a little bit. Right. You know, it's amazing when you ask me about my books. This, this is my first book, Letters to a Young Brother, Manifest Your Destiny. And this book, it's, it's, it's the book that I'm most proud of. Um, it won the American Library Association Award, Best Book for Young Adults. It won, you know, a, a bunch of NAACP Image Awards and different things. But it almost didn't get published. It almost didn't even come out. If I would have let institutional racism and notions around institutional racism stop me, it wouldn't have gotten published. Let me tell you how. So I was doing a lot of speaking to young brothers across the country, and they kept staying in touch with me, asking me all these questions. I'm like, well, I can't hit all of them back in individually. So let me write a book, because a lot of books helped me coming up. And one in particular that I modeled the name after called Letters to a Young Poet by Rainier Murray Rilke. And, and so I wrote this book, went to pitch it to the publishing companies in New York, and many of them said the exact same thing to me. They said, Hill, we want to do a book with you. At the time I was doing the show CSI in New York, they said, 17 million people are watching your show a week. You got two graduates from Harvard. Man, we want to do a book with you, but not this book. And I said, well, well hold up. Why not this book? They said, well, you're pitching us a book uh, for a population that doesn't read. You know, we we got a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders. We, we can't do charity books. And I said, hold up. What makes you think this is a charity book? Oh, come on, you know, young black men, they don't read. They don't buy books. I said, you know how institutionally racist you sound? I said, how about this? Rather than looking at yourself in the mirror and saying our data shows that young black men aren't buying our books because perhaps we're not actually publishing books that they're interested in reading, you're going to blame them and say, oh, they don't read. It's nonsense. I said, I promise you this book will be a New York Times bestseller. It came out. It wasn't just a New York Times bestseller. It was an international bestseller. And, and it opened the door for so many other books by other folks that came after me because all these publishing companies started saying, man, we need to get a book like that Hill Harper book, man. It's a number one seller. And so you had all these different artists, entertainers, 50 Cent, all these different people coming out with these inspirational books, right? And I'm proud of that because this book was the first and it's become the number one best-selling teen, uh, uh, best, it's the number one best-selling motivational book for teenage boys in history. And, wow. and I couldn't be more proud of it. And, and so the other books that followed, followed the same vein, but that book opened the door for me to publish the other books as well as many other books that got published by other people. All right. So um, next question I got for you. And I want to I want to get through these, man. So I got so much stuff to ask you. Next one is what's the number one challenge for black boys, in your opinion? You got the books, you got your own son and, you know, you're a black man. You've done tons of work in the spirit. What's the number one challenge for black boys, in, in your opinion there? Well, I mean, the number one challenge is the the ecosystem of challenges. There's so many institutional um, barriers. That, it, that society has systemically attempted to erect against our young men. And well, one of the things I've been thinking about the most recently, particularly as it goes to my, my son, is finding that balance. And I'm not saying I even have the answer to this, but finding that balance of equipping our young brothers 
with the reality of the challenges and the barriers that, that they're out there for them so that they feel well armored against them, but also marrying that with the fact that they deserve to just be carefree and have wonderment in their lives and just be boys and just have a great carefree life. And so I'm, I'm battling with that because more of the quote unquote reality you, you bring upon a young man's life in terms of talking about systemic barriers and how you can overcome those, sometimes it starts to take away from that just carefree, just be a boy, laugh, 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 have fun nature. And I want to extend that out as long as I can, because you know what? Life is long and short at the same time. And the more you could be carefree for as long as you can be carefree, because there's plenty of time to be serious and heavy and fight those fights. There's plenty of dragons to slay. And, and, and there's plenty of time to put on that armor to go into battle. And so I want my son and other young brothers to have as much runway as possible before they feel like they have to put on the armor. I want to protect them so they don't feel like they have to be armored up to fight yet. And I think finding that balance and creating that space and grace for our young men is critical. Yeah. So I, I had a list of questions. That's that's phenomenal. I had a list of questions in the order. I'm going to I'm going to ask you a different question based on what you just said now and based on something that came through to me um, this morning. So, you know, last Sunday we made the front page for the documentary, the front page of the Dallas Morning News. Right. Um, so tons of people writing stuff in this morning. I wake up and there's a somebody wrote me an email probably longer than the article. Right. And we had a full spread. Somebody wrote me this huge, long email. And um, I think it was coming from a good place. But it was somebody essentially criticizing the work we do, black men and white coats, saying we're we're making racism worse. We're we're giving our young black boys and girls excuses instead of telling them to push hard and do academically. Um, and I like what you just said about giving them the runway. Right. We're trying to give them the runway. So my question, two questions for you in this. So the first question is just going to be simply whenever people come against you like that with criticism, how do you deal with it? That's the first one. But the one I'm more interested um, in really knowing about is. For an organization like Black Men and White Coast Manifest Destiny, these things where we we, we do bring up race, right? Um, my biggest struggle is I want to make sure I'm not giving our Black youth excuses not to succeed. Whenever we talk about racism, I want to make sure they don't say, well, I didn't make it because they were racist, right? I want to make sure we're about empowerment. So how do you deal with that with your organizations or even just your life with your son? How do you deal with that with explaining to them the truth, but making sure they don't use it as an excuse and say, hey, this is for empowerment? That's true. I think that's that's a great question. I'll take your first question. There's always going to be haters and naysayers and people who have nothing better to do than to try to poke holes at, at people who are actually doing the work. The vast majority of people, if you, you start to notice, you know, man, I get, I get so many haters. So, you know, I, I get so used to it. The vast majority of people that come at you are people that aren't doing nothing for nobody. Yeah. They sit back and try to find critique about activity that you're doing and they also don't do their research you know they don't they don't figure out they'll come at you but they don't figure out how many thousands of kids you may have put through college or junior college through your work they don't how many kids how many emails you get every day for someone saying this book changed my life or letters to a young sister changed my life for a young sister etc they don't do their research yet they want to try to pick and choose moments to try to attack 
The reason why they do that is it's projection. And that's what I tell my son. That's what I tell everybody. Anytime anybody is trying to tell you what you should be doing, no matter what, and I even include parents in this, because sometimes parents can be the biggest dream killers of all. They like to project their fear onto their kids rather than actually living their own dynamic life. That's why when we talk about the blueprinting, it's like, don't project your dreams onto your kid, live your dream and then he'll see that and he'll mirror you, yeah. right? You know, if you've limited yourself, yet you're trying to demand them to be this, then he's seeing you being on the couch, not reading a book. And you keep telling him, read a book. Come on now. And so, so we have to be very clear about the difference between projection and reality. And people project their fears all the time. I always say that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Most of the fears we carry, most of the fears that, that people project onto us aren't real. Now, the question that you ask and trying to absolve ourselves or, or, or the excuse idea, it's, it, it, that again is a, a projection of fear. I always go to, you are excellent, you are magnificent, and you should act that way. I'm big into affirmations, huge into affirmations, right? And I, I use them for myself and I use them with my son, right? Every day driving to school, he has to do affirmations in the car, right? Because I believe those begin to seep into your subconscious and affirmations don't let you off the hook. You know, there's one he, he's been doing this past week that goes, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but gave me a spirit of power, uh, uh, strength and a sound mind. Mm -hmm. And so there's another one he does, he says, I, I am bold, handsome and brilliant. You know, the, these affirmations don't let you off the hook. They actually are meant to demand greatness from you and demand excellence from you. And so you can point out systemic barriers. <laughs> it's up to you to actually create solutions because you are magnificent and you can create those solutions. And so I completely disagree with anybody who, who, when you're speaking truth about a situation and about inequities, that's the same type of person. Watch this. I graduated from Brown University as valedictorian in my department. I went to Harvard Law School and I would get into arguments with people that would try to tell me I was only there because of so-called affirmative action. Now watch this. All of those people who make that argument, they don't realize that their entire life, they benefited from affirmative action, but they don't call it affirmative action. What do I mean? You, you look at Harvard and, the, and getting admitted, admitted, one of the number one things that helps you get admitted is if you had a parent that went there. It's called legacy. So, same with going to an expensive private school. Same with getting admitted into certain clubs that actually create networking opportunities. All of that is a type of what you call affirmative action, meaning I'm figuring out systemically how to push you along. And the other thing that they fail to also recognize is that let's say there's 100 people in a class and they decide one year to, to, to have at least that class be 10% black. Watch where I'm going with this. People think in their minds that that means there's 10 white folk or whoever 
that lost the opportunity to go. It's just not true. What, what all they did was add 10 more chairs. So the same people, in other words, is they don't go from uh, 100 to 90 and add 10 to keep it 100. They just add 10 more and it becomes 110. So what happens is no one else is losing their opportunity because of helping somebody else. They're just actually creating access for somebody else. And that's the, that's the type of information they don't want you to believe because they want you to believe that they got wherever they got through some type of meritocracy, which we know is a complete fallacy. I mean, if we want to go real deep, and this ties back into this platform I'm launching called the Black Wall Street, is that one of the greatest transfers of wealth and opportunity in the history of the world went to people who had the despicable appetite to be willing to hold humans as chattel slaves, right? You're talking about poor folk, you know, getting out of England to come to America and out of Europe to come to America and being told, hey, if you're willing to treat people as subhuman and be despicable, you can get a lot of wealth. And that's the foundation that everything we see around us is built upon. Ooh, say, Hill, slow down. You're calling some big issues. People are gonna come after you for saying that, but let's just speak the truth. So all of the benefit that has been accrued because of ancestors that were willing to do some, probably the most despicable thing you could do, and then to try to say, oh no, hold on. I never, I never held anybody in bondage. That wasn't me. But to benefit from the systems that have accrued from that, it's just about being conscious of it and saying, not, you're not wrong. It's just, let's figure out how to solve some of the systemic problems that have come up because of that reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Hill, if I could get you for two more questions, then we'll hop out of here. Hey, if somebody's listening. you in trouble, Dr. Dale. No, no, true. No, yeah, yeah. we want you. We, this is some wisdom. But if somebody in the chat, Dr. Dale, somebody could, somebody could hop in the swag room and tell them that we'll be here for maybe another five or 10 minutes if Hill's okay with that. And then we'll move to the swag room. But I got to get two two questions in at least here. I want to go to the swag room too. Okay, very because you got a lot of swag. But I got swag. But, I got swag. You got swag. But let me ask you this one question, right? So we always we're black men in white coats, and you know the, our biggest supporters are black women, right? Um, easily biggest supporters are black women. But so what do you think is the difference? Why is it that black boys are struggling so much, but our black girls, our black women, are way outshining us academically? What's that difference there, right? Growing up in the same household, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah. Well there are different emphases and different struggles placed on, you know, years and years and years ago, a writer out of Chicago by the name of Haki Matabuti wrote a, a book called Black Men, Single, Obsolete and Dangerous. And if you really break down many of the subconscious and conscious messaging that's thrown at, but hey Pierce, are you here? Oh, he's not. I was, I was hoping my son was here and I was going to have him come in um, as I answered this question. And also, I want him to see you because I'm going to say, that's who wrote the book, Dr. Doc. Yeah. Um, and right. so the, uh, this, the simple fact is, is that so much bombardment, um, you know, young black men get hit with in terms of what they're told they should aspire to be what they see to aspire to 
as well as the systemic and real barriers that come upon them, whether they be internal or external. And all of these things create an ecosystem of problems that require an ecosystem of solutions. Whether you're talking about criminal justice reform, whether you're talking about educational gaps, whether you're talking about wealth gaps. Come on, come on, come on, Pierce. There you go. Have a seat here. Oh, okay. Hey, what's up, Pierce? Hey, he's, he's sweating because he's been out playing in the snow. Um, hey, Pierce, take a look. You see him? How you doing, Pierce? That book, Dr. Doc, he wrote that book. That book? You read all the time. Check it out, Pierce. Yes, look, 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 look. He wrote that. That's, who he wrote. That's Dr. Dale. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. Good looking young man. Good looking young man. We have to do a much better job protecting our young men and as well as our young women. But what's different and the difference about this is that systemically society has castigated women in a certain way. And with young brothers, the attacks are different than any other group, any other group. Um, and we have to be cognizant of it and we have to be willing to help break down those barriers around and for our young men and also give them something more to aspire to be, right? Too many of the young brothers I work with, they say, man, you know, only way I'm gonna make it is to be a baller or a rapper as if those are the only two career or a banger. Uh, is you know if the only two careers or activities that they can do to actually do well so that's why doing the documentary black men and white coats is so critical because they have to see brothers like you intelligent dynamic successful they have to see you i'll be honest i actually got into a discussion about this with the brother ken chenault if you took ken chenault's balance sheet with his stock holdings you could take every rapper living or dead and add up their net worth and they still don't match Ken Chenault, yet 99% of young brothers out there have no idea Ken Chenault even exists. But that's on us too. That's on Ken Chenault. And this is the point. Those of us that have achieved have to be more visible. We can't just go off into our house and just disappear. We have to be more visible. We have to show up. And that's why doing the documentary, Black Men in White Coats, I wanted to get behind it. I wanted to get behind it as an executive producer. I wanted to support it because the visibility matters. Yeah, we appreciate that. And um, that's deep, man, that's deep. So on, on that note, I do wanna let everybody know. So um, Hill is hosting, sponsoring a virtual screening. We'll send the link out and it'll be up for the next, I think, two or three days. So you That's guys right. can all watch it. Tell Hill, thank you for that. So everybody can watch uh, Black Men and White Coast documentary for free. I'm hosting the virtual screening. You got to watch. Come on, y'all. You got to check out the doc. It's great. Yeah, watch it. Y'all share and it. I'll write the doc books. And I'll tell you, before I leave, theblackwallstreet.com. I want you guys, it's not up yet, but it's going to launch soon. And when it does, I'd say in the next two weeks, there'll be a landing page, maybe in the next week. I need you guys to go to the landing page and sign up, theblackwallstreet.com, and we're gonna teach you how to invest, we're gonna teach you how to grow your wealth, and we're gonna deal with this wealth gap directly. We're gonna be our own reparations. Yeah, I hope you teach me that. I'm gonna be on there, I'm telling you that right now. I'm gonna be on there. I got you.
It might be the first one. So everybody, hey, round of applause. Put some fire, some fuego, some whatever you guys can do. Put them in the chat there for Mr. Hill Harper. He's um an icon in the community, not just on TV, but, you know, goodness gracious, man. Just the brilliance, everything he's done. So, you know, I'm honored. Um, I'm honored that you will come join us today. I'm honored that you will be in the documentary. I'm honored that you will, you will be co-EP on the documentary. That was huge for us. Um, we really appreciate it. Everybody, um, just round of applause. Say thank you. Um, thank so everybody now. What you do, you're you're amazing. You're a leader. And I, I so, so, so appreciate you. And everybody out there, know how magnificent you are. Know that you're brilliant. Know that there's nothing you can't do. Right? You got this. Ooh. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Uh. Only do it like flogger, yeah. Uh. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Ayy, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them options, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I 